to It's Lit, where all things literary live at the root. I'm Danielle Belton, The Root's Editor-in-Chief, here with Managing Editor of The Glow Up, Maisha Kai. Hey there. <laughs> Maisha, today we have a poet on the show. Yes, we do. Talented writer, Jasmine Mams. Jasmine published her first collection of poetry in 2012 called Chalk Outlines of Snow Angels, and in March of this year published her second collection of works, Black Girl Call Home. In addition to being an accomplished poet in print, Jasmine is also a visual artist, a performance poet, and is the resident poet at the Newark Public Library. Well, you know, Newark is central to Jasmine's work. And, you know, she comes from a really strong poetic tradition there. I mean, hello, Amiri Baraka. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, she's also, I think, is this only the third poet we've had on she's its list so poet. far? I mean, we've had Claudia Rankin. We've had Nikki Giovanni. You know, and, and I have to admit, like, poetry isn't necessarily for everybody, right? Like, it's not necessarily the thing everybody gravitates toward when they're when they're in the store, you know, or when they're browsing for new works to read, because um, people don't think of it as a narrative they can get lost in. I have to say, I got lost in Black Girl Call Home. I got lost in these kind of vignettes that Jasmine creates. It, it was definitely, it just felt like an embrace of a book. And her love for Black women in particular, Black people, you know, so obvious, so... um just it was just there on every page, and I just really, really enjoyed this book so much. And I just it's it's a gift I would give to people, you know. Definitely, and as our listeners will learn from this particular episode, I am not the biggest fan of poetry. Not because poetry is not good. I grew up reading poetry. I grew up writing poet. poetry. <laughs> I did spoken word in college because everyone did because it was the nineties. Did you snap? Did you? I I, I did it all. <laughs> I did it all. I rapped. I used to freestyle. But okay. Jasmine's book gave me a better appreciation for modern poetry because all I have ever done is crap on it. And I'm just like, this this is actually good, guys. This is this is a good book. This Don't is, throw away that piece of yourself. Black girl, come <laughs> home. I know. Call black girl, home. call home. Like, the black girl, call home and write some poems. <laughs> That's what I got out of it. And with that, yes. I think we should get to the interview. Let's do it. Hey, Jasmine. Welcome to It's Lit. Hi, ladies. How are you guys today? Good. Oh, amazing. Thank you for having me today. (laughs) So we're so excited to talk to you about your new book of poetry called Black Girl Call Home. But first, we have this icebreaker that we do here at It's Lit. You know, since we're a podcast all about Black books and writers and journalists and poets, we like to begin every episode asking our guests to name at least one book they've considered life-changing, revolutionary, made you realize, wow, I didn't even know a book could be this. What was that book or books for you? Um, I recently read maybe a year ago On Earth We Are Briefly Gorgeous by Ocean Wong, and I was floored. Um, Mm -hmm. I I was floored by, by his experience by his narrative, by his way of storytelling. I don't want to give the story away. It is a novel and a series of letters that he wrote to his mother and it, it will pull on, on heartstrings. Just, just like if, if you've migrated or are an immigrant or, and like it, it, it's a very emotional and thorough and beautifully written story. And then, um, 
I think Sula by Toni Morrison mm. always makes you feel some type of way about just structuring good and evil through the bodies of women of color. And uh, those those two. And then I, you always have to mention The Alchemist. I don't know if, if if everyone mentions that book, but that's kind of like a, a like I feel like a lot of people come of age to that book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Those are great choices. Yeah, those are excellent choices. <laughs> Thank you, ladies. So, Jasmine, many of our listeners may know you from the viral moment you had a few years back with your poem Footnotes for Kanye, which appears in full in Black Girl Call Home. But first, let's start with the title of this collection, which reads like a command, but in reading your poems, it also feels like an invocation or a conjuring, calling Black women home to themselves. Based on the flowcharts you include in the book, it feels like there's a story. So how did that title originate for you? These pieces were already present and I just had to put them together. And what's so interesting is that I wrote Black Girl Call Home as a poem and it was in my notes for years. And I was just, I was just writing it. And, and I thought it was a poem and it was just sitting around somewhere. It didn't, it didn't, it wasn't online. It wasn't anywhere. It's just something that was in my notes on my computer. Um, and then the same with the cover. I saw this cover and I saved it and I was like, this is so, it it means so much to me. And it's, this is supposed to be a part of me in some way. I just don't know in which way. Um, and so when I was given the opportunity to, to build this thing, I had to put together many options, right? Like I couldn't just say, this is it guys. But this was always like, I put together many options and I was like, but like, this is, this is it. And because I'm a creative, I would like draw up the book cover for them and say like, but this is where I would like the title. And this is how I see my name. And like, we went through fonts and and so many different things, but it is a conjuring. It is a request. It is a calling. It's a poem. Um, And that's why we added the comma so that it it adds the layer of specificity and naming. And and I'm happy that y'all saw that because it was important to me. I love that subtlety. That's really great. Yeah. So, like, I have a confession to make. Maisha already knows this. Um, Even though I was raised on Black poets and Black poetry, like, I grew up reading Gwendolyn Brooks and Langston Hughes and Paul Lawrence Dunbar and, like, all these, like, amazing, amazing, amazing poets. And I even wrote poetry for a while when I was in college. Like, I am not a typical poetry reader. Mm Mm-hmm. In the sense that I probably, like, after the movie Love Jones came out, and then everybody was a poet for five minutes, was really kind of over the genre. And I got really jaded. Um, Which is sad, because poetry is is such a beautiful way to, you know, express oneself. And so I just completely fell off of Mm -hmm. my poetry reading. Come back. Come back to us. (laughs) But even still, like, in reading your book, I felt really embraced and even enchanted. And I'm genuinely fascinated by how writers gravitate to their preferred mediums. How did poetry become your preferred genre of writing? Oh, um, I was always a fan of rhyme. And truly, like, I was a fan of emotional text. 
And I found emotional lyrics like in music and I wanted to be a singer and I always wanted to use my voice. I wanted to be a rapper. I wanted to be a singer and a rapper. And like, I always wanted to use my voice on stage. And I think like throughout my childhood, I was like finding the best way to use my voice. And, um, and then I just kind of shifted in the poetry and I, I enjoyed rhyme and enjoyed storytelling. And so like, I remember like stumbling into the speech and debate room because like that was the closest thing to poetry club we had. And then there, there is like a space where activism and art collides, right? And like, you're not just talking about poem, you're talking about like black poetry and the black experience. And so I was stumbling upon different spaces that, that allowed me to not just explore rhyme and, and my own voice, but also how to narrate a black experience, how to narrate my own experience. And so mm -hmm. um, I think poetry became my medium because I love dramatic storytelling and I loved voice. And I just needed to figure out like where mine could exist in this world. Yeah, you know, I, I <laughs> as a fellow lyricist, I totally get that. And uh, I love that answer. I'm also, uh, I got to tell you, I'm fascinated by your hometown of Newark, New Jersey. Firstly, because my partner is also a third generation Newarker. <laughs> and it's a huge part of his identity as a person and as an artist. And also because it's like one of those great American cities that's fostered like talents like, you know, Sarah Vaughn and Queen Latifah and Michael B. Jordan and Whitney Houston, who you devote several poems to in this collection, as well as, you know, fellow poets like Amiri Baraka and even Redman, right? So since Newark, features heavily in this collection, how would you characterize the magic of your hometown and its influence upon your work? Oh, that's the hardest question I've ever heard in my life. Oh, and it's no. deeply unfair. <laughs> um, it was my opportunity to honor Nork. Like, mm. it, it was my opportunity to... I was like, if, if, if a black girl reads this book or, or if anybody reads this book and they're from North, like they're going to feel seen. And I wanted them to feel as seen as I felt when I heard Every City, Every Ghetto by Lauren Hill, where I was like, she is talking to me. No, that's not for any girl. That's for North girls. That's for like girls from like, uh, Chancellor Avenue and like, and, and Bergen. Like though everybody's don't know Bergen. And so she, that was, this was my opportunity to give an ode to to my city and there's so many misconceptions and so much confusion but like to know somebody right from Newark you have a level of pride when like well like Amir Baraka when he was alive was still going to the local bookstore and his wife is is still going to the local bookstore and is still talking to the bookstore owners and we're still opening coffee shops and all of the the poets still go to the coffee shop and at 9:30 in the morning you might see 10 different artists standing in front of the coffee shop smoking a blunt and talking <laughs> about art and or like when when an artist like got sick and he didn't have health care, the community gathered around him and raised the funds in order for him to get the procedures that he needed. And so we we take art seriously because we know that it is narrative for for culture. And I think because of Nork, like it's so weird, right? Like sometimes when you grow up in the hood or if you're black growing up in the hood, you try so much to to kind of 
get away and brush your home off of you. I'm not that. Mm-hmm. Don't don't see me as as Nork. But the but then you get to a space of like realizing that it's it's about like being a master of your craft is about the pride that you have in your voice. And so I was like, what is the voice of not just me, but but my interpretation of the North voice? And and that meant to give it honor. Um, and so I hope that I did that. I really do. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Interestingly enough, I hail from another city that I think is often misunderstood, but also features heavily in Black Girl Call Home by way of Kanye. I am sitting on the south side of Chicago as we speak. Mm, word, and, word, okay. uh, <laughs> and as Danielle noted, you know, for many folks, you came to national attention with footnotes for Kanye, the brilliant footnotes for Kanye. And I'm someone of his generation who vividly remembers firsthand his pre-fame backpacker days. So I've been intrigued by your ongoing analysis of him. Since, as you've noted, he literally left our asses for a white girl. <laughs> so, you know, would you agree, and I might be, you know, reaching here, but that Kanye's trajectory represents a very specific and, and kind of triggering psychological trauma that is experienced by a lot of Black women in particular? And has your analysis of him at all changed in the years since you wrote that poem? There are a lot of different things that I think about with Kanye and my analysis. And one, I think there's room, right, to talk about like the tragic black man, right? The, Mm -hmm. the narrative, like I've spoken to so many brilliant women about men who become very successful, who marry women who, who are white identifying or who, who can engage in the privileges of whiteness. And so that's a huge narrative. And like, and, and, and like people act like it does not exist and it is not real. And people want to pivot that conversation against the conversation of, well, am I not allowed to date lighter skinned women or date outside of my mm-hmm. race? But there is a such thing as like this black man's prize. And, and where did that come to be? And, and I think that that is a, a, a conversation that so many people desire to have in a conversation that we can have about like looking at so what does the narrative possess when you look at so many successful black men who are connected to all of these women who aesthetically look the same. They're, they're this standard image of sexy. They're very light. They have this long flowy hair and, and, and some of them may, I'm not going to get into that. I was going to say some of them may mm-hmm. not actually have jobs. Like they're there to be beautiful wives. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and and aesthetically different from the women they were raised around. So I think there is a huge racial conversation. Um, then on the side of Kim Kardashian, there is a big conversation about appropriation, about taking things that are aesthetically black and and things that are just inherently not white and using them. And when a woman that light or who is white uses those things, she is now exotic when she has cornrows, when she gets a, a bigger butt, when um, when she wears certain things that that were identified as ghetto or culturally hip hop. Now she's exotic and she's making millions of dollars off of this image of being exotic. Whereas a black woman can host the same narrative and be in a totally different and lower tax bracket. And then on top of this, we have social media. And I think that the Kardashian presence, right? When we talk about wealth, monopolies, social media, or, or marrying black men and having just slew of biracial children, I think it's a big narrative to have. And I only think that some of us can have it. Um, I realized that like a, a poem went viral and a poem is in everybody's households, but everybody's not hosting the same conversation. Everybody's not honoring that conversation as a piece of art or a piece of, um, of a piece of sociology that we can peel apart. And, and when things go viral, I have to remind myself of that, that everybody isn't enjoying this piece the same way. Mm. Yeah. So, we could we could come back and have a whole different conversation yeah, yeah. about we really could. <laughs> I was like, hmm, that was that was a great answer. But yes, it's it was more of an opening of a conversation to be honest. I was like, yeah, we could we could have no, a whole episode totally, just on that. We could have a whole episode just on <laughs> that. Oh, for real. But you know, since Kanye already gets plenty of attention, mm-hmm. I'd like to bring the focus to some of the other themes you explore in this collection of poems, which as noted aren't solely focused on black women but on a range of experiences that impact the Black community at large, including sexual assault, respectability politics, and the fragility of Black lives, especially Black men's lives, which is literally on trial as we have this conversation due to the Derek Chauvin trial. What were you hoping to communicate through this collection? There is a constant poem. I think there's a line that I mentioned twice, maybe even three times in the collection, and it's, they don't give our bodies back to God. And I think that all throughout the book, you see the fragility of the black body. And that is what I'm trying to show. And I didn't know that that was like a part of my intention when I started. It wasn't my intention when I started. And as I started like building upon this narrative of a black girl called home and home and body and, and mother, daughter, right? Like you realize that that fragility becomes a big thing and the the fragility of the body around like the, the poems around trans folks and around the children who are left at the border and there's this like one poem I saw a photo and the photo's still on my phone but like there was this gate and there are holes in the gate and a mother like literally they're in a, a, a one of those camps that Donald Trump set up for people who illegally entered the country and a mother is like poking her breasts out of one of the holes so that she can breastfeed her baby who's on the other side because her baby is in the on the male side and she's on the woman's side and that speaks to fragility or the fragility around a heart 
that is broken um the fragility around mothers and daughters where like mothers have expectations for their daughters not because they're these like aggressive mothers or polarizing mothers but because they need to save and 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 they they held you for so long so why would they just free you to a dangerous world and so i think the constant theme is the body and the fragility of the body around these dynamics of love family assault and and we're talking about fragility not only mine but the fragility of women that existed like before me when we were talking about like slave labor and so i i wanted to show people that I was trying to be a student of my own body. And, and that was a big part of this for me. Well, yeah, you, and you also explore queerness in this collection. And I love that you do it in a really matter-of-fact way, because I think that it's really important to centralize that. Like, it's, you know, <laughs> like it's not, we don't need to make this a marginalized experience. But I watched an interview of yours in which you discussed your own experience, I guess, if we want to call it coming out to your parents. And... You noted that in relation to what we call queerness, it's really straight people, right, who come out in response to the queer people in their lives. Um, how do you hope your work will contribute to that conversation? I hope that there are more women who speak about their narratives, like young women who can speak about their heartbreaks. Um, one of the first poems that like that that built my career right before footnotes for kanye was this piece that i wrote derek's lover and it constantly like got views and people were watching it and engaging with it and i was like why do people care about this piece so much and it was because it was a black girl's narrative about getting her heart broken and that not many there are not many just narratives around that like we have for for heterosexual people like you can go on uh, on hulu or on uh, netflix at any moment and find so many evolving or repetitious love stories about straight folks coming of age in so many different dynamics but not as many about queer people and so i hope that this just allows more girls like myself to exist in the canon and to feel less alone um and they're coming out and they're loving when they're engaging with the dynamics of so many people who just don't get them so jasmine uh you know black girl call home has been highly acclaimed since it debuted in early march and rightfully so so congratulations thank you have you been at all surprised by the response and do you know what's next for you yet? I am overwhelmed and surprised by the response. I am, I am in, I'm in so much shock that I feel like I'm in a daze and I'm just like, I want to honor what's happening. And I'm also working. So like we're in an incredible state of just in service to the book. And every day I'm like grateful that I can be in service to this book. And I am Utter, like you wouldn't even understand the level of surprise I am. Like I wanted to make a few lists. I wanted an award, like like we all want to like be acknowledged for the work that we do. But this level, I didn't expect. Um, I know what's coming next. I can't tell you guys what's coming next. <laughs> However, I think we all will be very, very surprised. Oh, I love a good surprise. I I love a good surprise too, and I'm getting I'm I'm trying to just get used to the fact that like there are 
there are things that I just can't see. Um, and that that is indeed a blessing. And so I'm I'm excited for this journey. That Black Girl Call Home is way bigger than me. And, and I'll just allow it to be so. All right. Well, Jasmine, thank you so much for joining me and Maisha on It's Lit today. Oh, thank you guys for having me. This was awesome. Yeah, thank you so much. there. It's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. The Root Presents It's Lit is produced by myself, Maisha Kai, and Michaela Heck. Our sound engineer is Ryan Allen. If you like the show and you want to help us out, please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find the show. And if you have any thoughts or feedback, you can find me on Twitter at Black Snob or on Instagram at Belton Danielle. And you can find me at Maisha on Twitter. That's M-A-I-Y-S-H-A and at Maisha Kai on Instagram. And before we go, usually we like to talk a little bit about what we're currently reading. But Maisha, as you know, and I know, I am leaving. You are leaving. This is, this is my last episode <laughs> of It's Lit. I, I, I'm hoping, well, look, I do think it's going to be a little less lit for it. Because I don't think I can match your enthusiasm at the top of every episode. I'm going no, to I try. I think you can do it. I mean, you're <laughs> a professional, you know, voice trained, like, actor. Like, you can totally do it. I, I'm, I'm going to try to carry on in your stead, as will the rest of the route, because we have loved you so much and loved being under your leadership. And the site has grown so tremendously under your steady hand. So uh, we all thank you so much for everything, including enabling us to have this amazing podcast. Oh, I love this little <laughs> podcast. It was so much fun. So, so much fun. <laughs> To our listeners who don't realize, I've been editor-in-chief of The Root for the last five, oh my God, four years. And I've been <laughs> in charge of The Root for the last five years. And I've been working at The Root for six years. So it's it's been a minute. And I was offered a new role as editor-in-chief of Huff Post. So no, I am running away to join the house Ariana Huffington built and do this all over again with a whole new team. And a whole new organization, which I'm very excited about. But I wouldn't be able to move on to this great new role if I hadn't spent all the years I've spent at The Root. It's been an amazing ride here. I've greatly enjoyed and appreciated every moment of it. I love Maisha. I love the team. And I'm going to I'm gonna miss all you guys. I love Michaela, who <laughs> <laughs> helps produce the show every, every week with Maisha. Like, they do all the work, guys. Michaela. They do all the work, guys. Like, I literally do nothing. Like, I just show up and read. You, you know? do something. You do some things. And, you know, we will miss you so much. But one of the beautiful things about you being a writer and not just an editor is that we can have you back because yeah. we fully expect that when you publish these books, <laughs> we will be first on your list. <laughs> I will. It's what will be top of mind. Please. We want the scoops. We want all the things. Um, we are 
just cheering you on. We are your biggest cheerleaders here um, at HuffPost, and they are so lucky to have you. So, you know, HuffPost, please treat our lady well. <laughs> yes. And with that, that's it for us this week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Or I won't, but Maisha will. And in the meantime, keep it lit. <laughs>